My name is Michelle Thompson, and it's an honor to just be able to be in front of you today and just share with you um, my heart. And um, I'm from a church in uh, Illyria called Cross Community. I've been there for about 10 years, and God has just done incredible things, but they haven't always been easy. And so um, thanks for showing up. This is um, room 176, so we're glad that you're all here. And if you're in the wrong place, you're at the right place. I had someone last session, and they were like, I totally sat in in the wrong session, but halfway through I realized that God meant for me to be here. And so that really is my goal for you today is to be challenged, to be equipped, and to be empowered where you're at. All right? So, And there will be time for questions at the end, and so if you have anything in your mind, just jot it down. Um, this topic is kind of one of the, I told the, the class earlier, it's a little bit more heavy. It's not so fluffy and like, you know, easy to talk about sometimes. And so this, the name of this session is Leading from the Number Two Position. Oh, and um, let's be honest, right? The number two position can be difficult, can be frustrating, because it can leave you feeling like you can't do anything because you're not the number one. Right? Has anybody ever felt like that? Okay, yes. (laughs) Have you ever thought to yourself, um, things would be different if I were in charge? Anybody? Any hands? Okay, yes. I'm sure we all have, right? Well, here's the thing. God has specific plans and purposes for each one of you in your specific role that you're in today. All right? And so we have to get okay with who we are in that role. Now, this role in your number two position will challenge your ego It will buffer your speech, and it will keep you anchored in your calling. Because a lot of serving in the number two position is about being humility, is having humility and having a humbled heart before Christ. And we'll get into that. Um, It really is truly about growing where you're planted. And sometimes we look at the grass at other places, maybe other churches, other organizations, and we go, man, if I could go over there, they're thriving, and there's so much going on, and God's doing great things, and yet God's speaking to our hearts saying, hey, you stay where you're at, and let me grow you there. Let's do some great things for God where you're at. So no matter the circumstances or your level of comfort, God wants you to give your best where you're at. No matter your age in this room, wherever you're at, whatever role you're leading, God wants you to do your very best. In Romans 12, 8, and it's on your notes there, it says, If you have the gift of leadership, then lead diligently. And I love, I love the scripture sometimes because sometimes they're just so simple and basic. If you have the gift of leadership, which all of you do because you wouldn't be at a leadership conference if you didn't have the gift of leadership, then simply it says, then to lead diligently. Now, diligent, that's a tough word sometimes. But let's define the number two position, all right? And on your notes, it says, anyone in a subordinate role, a lower and then position, whose influence with others adds value throughout the organization. So here's the bottom line. All of us in this room right now are number two, regardless of who you are and what you do. Now, When I was in ministry out in California, I helped assistant direct a master's commission program at a a real large church. And our director, um, we were having a conversation one day because I was just kind of unsettled in who I was and what I was doing. And he said this to me. He said, you know, Michelle, you're always going to be a number two. And I remember sitting there like across like the desk table and going, 
That doesn't feel really good to just be told, I'm always going to be a number two, right? Because, you know, in your own self, you're working, you, there's, there's things you want to do and be, and, you know, I want to be a lead pastor of this church, or I want to start this ministry, and I want to lead it. We have these visions, right? And so we want to be the number one. And so when I had the guy that was number one in my life, and he said to me, you're always going to be a number two, kind of in my heart I went, oh, okay. And I think he could tell that my face probably was a little, like, sad. And he goes, well, no, here's the thing. We all are always going to be a number two, no matter what position you are. You're always going to be a number two, and you got to get okay with that. you got to get okay in your own skin that you're always going to be a number two. It's okay. Really, the only person, probably, what, the president? I mean, he, he still has to be accountable to the executive branches and things, but he's really, I mean, there's really nobody. You can't go much higher than the president in our governmental system. So, but beyond that, CEOs maybe, but there's not many jobs where you're not going to have somebody ahead of you. So this fits for all of us. And we have to learn how to lead successfully in those roles. So here are some pitfalls <laughs> that you might run into in the number two position. And as I read through these, just ask yourself, have you said these? Have, these, have you ever felt these things? It's possible, all right? Sometimes people mentally check out. All right, and you can fill in right there. They mentally check out because they feel that if they're not at the top, they truly can't lead. So that's one of the pitfalls. They just ah, check out. Their body's there. They might show up to help you, but in their head, they're like, well, I'm kind of at the lower level, so I'm just going to kind of do the status quo, right? That's a pitfall. Another one is they become complacent. It's your next fill-in. Because they assume that they will learn what they need to learn, right, when they get to the top. So no sense learning it now. I don't need to be bothered with this stuff now because one day I'm going to be at the top and then I'll, I'll learn what I need to learn. So they just become complacent. Third, they might just have a bad attitude. All right? So here's, this is awesome. So have you ever thought to yourself, if I were in charge, everyone would follow me? Or if I was running this event, we'd have a lot more people. As in, you don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> But I'm sure we've all thought that, right? And the truth is, if you don't have people following you now, you probably won't have people following you later. Okay, and again, this is not, this is a little bit tougher session because it's a little bit more like honest, which we need, right? But, but it's true. If people aren't following you, whatever role you're in now, if you don't have people following you, looking to you to leadership, then that's not something to feel bad about. It's just something to say, Lord, I need your help. I need to learn leadership. I need to understand influence. I need to make relationships. So help me, right? So it's not a bad thing if you're at that point, but you got to have people following you. That's, that's the main thing. The greatest limitation, and I love this, you guys, the greatest limitation will not be the people above you, but the spirit within you. And I'm going to say that again, all right? It's on your notes, too. The greatest limitation will not be the people above you, but the spirit within you. So it, is, it does come down to a heart attitude. It comes down to, do you truly do what you're doing because Christ has called you to, because you stand before an audience of one, or are you doing it because of your ego or because you want to have prominence or because you want to work to a sp- certain place and be recognized here or there, right? So you've got to check your heart because it's not about the people above you. They're not limiting you. You might feel like it, but they're not limiting you. You are limiting you by your spirit. And this number two position is a, you, you have to have a servant's heart. 
I mean, Jesus, God Almighty, came to earth, humbled himself, and he came to serve. Sometimes I forget, I think we forget in our studies and our prep, and that's what we're here to do. I saw this picture on Facebook. I don't know if you guys have seen it. And it's two graphics, and they're on top of each other, and, and they're like a really cool graphic. And one is a picture of like a microphone and like an audience and like this really cool lighting. And then right below it is a picture of somebody washing feet. And I was like, wow, you know, isn't that, isn't that most people want up here? This is ministry. This is what they think ministry is, right? But really, what is ministry? What is leadership? Truly, it's, it's the bottom picture. It's the serving and Jesus modeled that. He lived that. He walked that. So I have a quote for you on, the, on your notes. It says, too many leaders focus all their energy on moving to the next chair as quickly as possible that they miss the opportunity to develop the gifts in their curtain chair. They're so worried about over here that they're not growing where they're planted. They're not learning. What do I need to learn at this phase of my life? You know. Another quote says, if you believe the lack of authority prevents you from leading effectively, it is time to rethink your understanding. I just got freaked out that it wasn't recording. <laughs> it's recording. If you believe the lack of authority prevents you from leading effectively, it's time to rethink your understanding of leadership. Because, again, leadership isn't about that. It's about who you are. It's your influence. It's your relationship with people. So it's not about your position that you hold. All right, so here are some quick examples in the Bible, of some number two relationships. And these are all, you guys, these are familiar, but sometimes it's good reminders for us. Elijah and Elisha, all right? Those are some examples, and, the, and you can write that in your notes. Paul and Timothy, right? Great examples of leader and a follower. If I was to retitle this session, it would be followership. Followership. Instead of leadership, it'd be like followership. How to be the greatest follower ever, Right? Paul and Timothy are a great example of that. Jesus and God the Father. Now, although there's a trinity and they're all equal, but in the role of Jesus to God the Father, he was subordinate, right? And he realized that. He only did what the Father did. What a great example for us too, right, as number two leaders. We've got to follow that example. And then the last example is Caleb and Joshua and Moses. And we'll talk about them a little bit later. But I've got a couple favorites that when I, whenever I think of the number two roles, <laughs> David and, jo- and Joseph come to mind. Wow, the stuff that they went through and what God did in them, their character that was formed, amazing. And in 1 Samuel, and I have the verses down for you on your notes, 1 Samuel verse 5 focuses on this, and it says, Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. I love that because the first set, the first word says, whatever. Are you willing to do that in your number two position? Are you do, are you willing to do whatever, whoever your number one is, whatever they ask you big or small out of your comfort zone in your comfort zone? Are you willing to do that? Those are just questions, right? That we have to ask ourselves, but whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully That Saul gave him a high rank in the army. Verse 14 says, And everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. Right? We know that in all of this, we can do nothing apart from God. Our success only comes because of him. But we have to be in him. We have to be abiding in him. We have to be spending time with God so that that's a part of us. 
Verse 30 says, The Philistine commanders continued to go into battle, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. Another just example of somebody who just was who he was. And let's not forget who David was picked out of, right? Out of all of his brothers. I can't tell you how many times I've had opportunities come in my life and I go, are you sure, Lord? Because there's a whole lot of other brothers that would seem like they would be way better, right? And I'm emotional because I've lived this out. But God, for whatever reason, chooses who he chooses, right? And just like with David, David was willing and said, yes, Lord, I'll let you anoint me to be king. And I'm sure his brothers were like, how's that, you know? I'm way better, I'm way stronger, I'm way smarter. I'm w- We're all Davids in the room. You're, all, you're David in this room. And you might feel inadequate for what you're doing. Here's, here's a little free tip, ready? Stop. Stop feeling inadequate. Because here's the reality, you are. Apart from God, right? Apart from God, we are. So stop dwelling in it, stop worrying about it. I have to tell myself that. Don't worry about it. If God's put it in front of you, he's going to take care of the details. He's going to equip you. He's going to give you the people you need, the training that you need to do what he's put you in front of. And it's that simple, but that hard, you know. So it's like one of those like crazy things. All right, so Joseph, let's talk about him really quick. Another, another man. Man, I, if you're going into full-time ministry or you are in full-time ministry and you have been for a while, Joseph is a great character to study his life. Because I think that it, those of us that are in ministry full-time, we have to go through sometimes the processes of Joseph and everything that he's been through. The hard stuff. I mean, he was in prison for 13 years for things he didn't do. I still blows my mind the forgiveness that he was able to give to his brothers. I just go, man, I don't know that I love Jesus that much yet. You know, like, I'm sure I could get there. But that's, that wows me, you know. That wows me that he was able to do that. So in Genesis 39 and 41, we'll look at a couple of verses. Verse 3 and 4 in Genesis 39 says, The Lord gave him success in everything he did, and he found favor in Potiphar's eyes. So much so that he entrusted everything he owned to his care. I think we forget that. Like, Joseph was a slave, right? Came into Egypt as a no one, nothing. And because he was who he was, he just served and he did whatever was given to him, and it got recognized by Potiphar. And Potiphar then put him in charge of his entire house. That's the kind of promotion God does when you are faithful, and you just do what he asks you to, and you don't worry about who gets the credit. That's, the kind of, that's what happens. You can go get your own promotion. You can work yourself, right? You can. You can do all that. But God's not going to be behind it. Let God promote you. All right, and then um, chapter 41, God's presence with Joseph was so obvious that Pharaoh, all right, so first we have Potiphar. He was a big deal, right? Well, now we have Pharaoh who promoted Joseph to second in command of all of Egypt because he recognized who he was. Now, one of the things I do at the church I'm at, I'm a children's pastor, and it's really cool because I actually have, this is one of my interns, Robert Morton, and then there's two students that go work with our youth ministry. Um, but Joseph is a phenomenal guy to study, and you know how like there's the Prince of Egypt cartoons? Well, there's one for Joseph called Joseph, King of Dreamers, 
And I was showing it to one of the kids' classes, and there was this part where, you know, the cartoon character, Joseph, was just in this huge palace. And all you see is a bucket, and he's just scrubbing the floor on this gigantic palace. And Potiphar, and Potiphar walks in and is like, did you do all of this? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, Wow. And then Pharaoh must have walked in and was like, do you trust this man? He's like, I trust him with my life. And all of a sudden, this very mediocre task that most people will be like, it's not my job to take out the trash. I'm a fill in the blank, you know. It's not my job to clean up in the kitchen at our church. That's the women's ministry. That's their job. You know, we get these, like, things on us that, like, we're too good for that. Joseph just did it. And because of that, he was promoted. And so that's going to be your fill-ins in this next section. It says, both of these men were so diligent. All right, remember that scripture. Be diligent. If you're going to lead, do it diligently. They were so diligent in their number two role that God gave them the following. Number one is promotion. God did it. God promoted them. Number two, favor with people. You know, as ministers and leaders, lay leaders, you guys are going to want favor with people, with parents, with the city, with officials. You're going to want favor, God's favor. And it only comes through this kind of leadership. It really does, through God promoting it. All right, and the third thing that came because of their diligence, respect with those they lead. Respect with those they lead. So, how are you guys doing so far? Are you, are you having a good time? All right, good. All right, let's continue. So, here we go. Leading from the number two position is a place of great honor, and that's your fill-in. It's a place of great honor. And what I didn't put on there, it's also a place of humility. It's a place of great honor, but also humility. You have been called, and Sir Philan, called and set apart to lead and to follow. Because in the number two role, you're, only, you're not only following, but you're also leading because there's people in your ministries that you're leading too. So you're not only leading those that are in your group, but you're also following someone above you. All right, so it's a dual. This is a dual role. So you've been called and set apart to lead and to follow. Crazy. So let's talk real quick. The story with Joshua and Caleb and Moses, right, out of Numbers 13. When I was, like, reading over it, there were about, give or take, two million people that Moses had to choose from to figure out who's going to go spy in the land, right? And so he's going to pick one from each tribe. Well, can you imagine, like, when your name was called, if you were the tribe of Dan and your name was called, it would have been like at a sporting event, right? People were like, whoa, that's my guy from the tribe of Dan. Can you imagine? Twelve were chosen out of two million-ish. Leaders. People that were going to be given a huge responsibility. What an honor to have done that, right? Moses called them one by one. Well, and we all know the rest of the story, right? (laughs) Ten of, how ten out of the twelve would fail miserably in their leadership role. Ten of them would just come back, fail miserably. Only Caleb and Joshua would lead with courage and God-led conviction. And that's your fill-in. Only Joshua and Caleb would lead with courage and God-led conviction. 
They didn't come back with fear. They came back with faith, and that's the difference. So leading in this role will call you to live the high calling. And I want, that's your next fill-in. It will call you to live the high calling. So what I want you guys to do right now is that extra piece of paper that I passed out to you, go ahead and um, look at that. This is something um, that I have, it was given to me in 1994, probably, 95, something like that. I went to ministry school in Rockford, Illinois, and um, I was a student in training, and I was given this, and I've held on to this my entire ministry. I've been a licensed minister since 1999, and this has been something that not only have I tried to live by, it's something that has helped me many times to stay in my calling, and it's also something that I've passed on to those that I've trained, mentored, and led. And so let's just walk through this, and as, as I read this, I want you guys just to be thinking about your own life and, and where you're at right now in the number two position as regards to the high calling, all right? So here we go. If God has called you to be really like Jesus in all your spirit, he will draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility. And put on you such demands of obedience that he will not allow you to follow other Christians. And in many ways, he will seem to let other good people do things which he will not let you do. Other Christians and ministers who seem very religious and useful may push themselves, pull wires, and work schemes to carry out their plans. But you cannot do it. And if you attempt it, you will meet with such failure and rebuke from the Lord as to make you sorely penitent. Others can brag on themselves, on their work, on their success, on their writings, but the Holy Spirit will not allow you to do any such thing. And if you begin it, he will lead you into some deep mortification that will make you despise yourself and all your good works. Others will be allowed to succeed in making great sums of money or having a legacy left to them or in having luxuries but God may supply you daily because he wants you to have something far better than gold. And that is helpless dependence on him. That he may have the privilege of providing your needs day by day out of his unseen treasury. The Lord may let others be honored and put forward and keep you hid away in obscurity. Because he wants to produce some choice fragrant fruit for his coming glory which can only be produced in the shade. God will let others be great, but keep you small. He will let others do work for him and get the credit for it. But he will make you work and toil on without knowing how much you are doing. And then to make your work still more precious, he will let others get the credit for the work which you have done. And this will make your reward ten times greater when Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit will put a strict watch on you with a jealous love, and will rebuke you for little words and feelings, or for wasting time which other Christians seem never distressed over. So make up your mind that God is an infinite sovereign, and he has the right to do as he pleases with his own. And he will not explain to you a thousand things which may puzzle your reason, your reason in his dealings with you. God will take you at your word, and if you absolutely sell yourself to be his slave, he will wrap you up in a jealous love, and let other people say and do many things that you cannot do or say. So settle it forever that you are to deal directly with the Holy Spirit, 
and that he is to have the privilege of tying your tongue or chaining your hand or closing your eyes in ways others are not dealt with. So now when you are possessed with the living God that you are in a secret heart, pleased and delighted over this peculiar, personal, private, jealous guardianship and management of the Holy Spirit over your life, you will then have found the vestibule of heaven. Now, I know that is guttural, but that really is the true calling that we are to live, which is sacrificial, which is service, which is not about us. It's about him. And that's what God's calling all of us to. And if you can go wherever, back to whatever church or organization or wherever you're at and be the best you in whatever role you're in, God can use that mightily and move that area, ministry, whatever, so forward because it won't matter. We won't have, you won't have to deal with all the comparisons and, well, this person's been here longer and they got an office and I didn't. We, we sometimes worry about things and fight over things amongst ourselves on teams and God's going, guys, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's that point. He's just looking down going, why are you worrying about that? There's a whole big world out there that needs me. If we could just settle it in our heart that this is a high calling and it's not going to be about us. And we're going to go through periods like, like everybody in the Old Testament, right? Like Hebrews chapter 11, all those that are mentioned in there, right? Those men and women of faith, they didn't go through just easy stuff. Being sawn in half and put, have hot oil over you. To, I mean, these are things that they were going through. In my ministry that I've been a part of churches, and we've had some really tough stuff. I mean, like, ow, like things that have made me want to quit over and over again. But no one's ever been sawn in half. Nobody's ever been portal, right? You know what I'm saying? And sometimes the Lord has to reprioritize us and go, wow, we're focusing on the wrong things, right? There's so much to do, and we need to get ourselves positioned in the right place. So I hope, I hope that ministered to some of you. And, and you know what? It's so, it's so heavy and it's so deep. You might have to take it to your prayer time out, away from here and just ask the Lord where you're at in that. And, you know, there's been different times and different parts of that in my lifetime that have connected more than others, you know. But let that be an encouragement to you. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it to live the high calling and to allow God to do whatever he wants to in your life. So, all right, let's move on. So we've, we've found out that number, number one position is a great honor. Second part, leading from the number two position is a great place of responsibility. It's a great responsibility. There is always going to be a cost to leadership. Always. Jesus gave us that example, right? His cost was his life. Our cost is not, not so much like that. But there's going to be a cost. And you have to ask yourself, are you really willing, really, really willing to pay that? You know, back to talking about Moses and Joshua and Caleb. For the generation of God's people on the edge of the promised land, there was never a bigger crisis of leadership than when the 12 leaders were given that responsibility of spying out the land. They were to seek out the land, come back with reports, and then issue a challenge of faith to the people. That was like what they were given. That was their role. And as we know, two would be up 
for the challenge, and that's your fill-in. Two, just two, two out of the 12. So we got great leaders out of two million, and only two of them came back with faith. But 10 would wilt. I like that word, wilt, under the heavy load of responsibility. They just broke down. They couldn't handle it. They allowed fear in. They saw huge issues. They were scared. They were afraid. And so all of a sudden they were like, oh, we can't do it. Well, you know what, you guys? You have to have that great faith. There's going to be so much responsibility placed on you. Not just, I'm not saying like portfolios. I'm not saying, you know, admin things and, and events. And I'm talking people. We have the burden of salvation. We have the burden of heaven and hell. Right? That's huge. We can't miss it. You can't mess it up. There's a great responsibility on us. And you can't wilt under that. You've got to be like Joshua and Caleb. So, instead of, and that's your next fill-in, instead of reporting with faith, they would report the fear they felt. And those will be choices that you'll have. You'll, you'll either be able to choose faith or you'll be able to choose fear. And that's up to you. God wants us to choose faith. He wants us to operate in faith in our prayer times, in whatever we're facing. Not fear. Fear is the presence of the enemy. There's no fear in love. All right? Only two gave the challenge of moving forward with great faith. And that's your last fill-in for there. Only two. We're supposed to be like those two that issue the challenge of faith. And the, the third thing, leading from the number, number two position, requires great faith, what we were just talking about. Only two gave the challenge of moving forward with great faith. Sorry, I'm trying to play catch-up with the time we lost. Everybody good with the fill-ins? All right. Leading from the number two position requires great faith. When the people listened to the ten frightened spies, God wanted to destroy them all. Wow. But thankful for Moses because he went to God and pleaded with God and God relented. Boy, that, that crazy. Our God Almighty was able, his mind was changed. And instead of destroying a whole world, he only destroyed a generation. And that's why they wandered around for 40 years. That was part of their, their punishment, right? When people sided with fear instead of faith, their opportunity to live in the promised land was vanished. How many things have you lost, opportunities have you lost because you operated in fear instead of faith? I don't know. Opportunities are always there. God's always waiting for us to be available. But we've got to step out of fear and into faith. Forty years later, thankfully, right, Joshua and Caleb would lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Forty years some of the things you've been waiting for, not been 40 years, right? I mean, I just, it's crazy. I think we forget so much of how much, like, awesomeness there is to the Bible and what, what they went through and just, like, what God did in their lives. I mean, that's like, I mean, I got married older in life, and, and people were like, wow, that's amazing. You know, you were older. How did you do it? You know, it's like, wow, there's because I wanted the right person, and, you know, I'm busy doing what God wants me to do and traveling the world, and, you know, it's like, whoa, you know, but you wait for the God's best, right? So, anyways, <laughs> leadership is a place of tremendous responsibility. 
Leadership is a place of tremendous responsibility. Because again, it's souls. It's people. For a leader's faith is on public display. For a leader's faith is on public display. Our church went through some crazy stuff a few years ago, and there was so many times that I wanted to quit. Like, so many times. And um, I just wanted to, like, wave the white flag. Like, I give up. I give up. You know? And although there were people on my team that probably could tell that I was being challenged and going through some stuff, you still have to lead. You still have to be courageous, right? Like, we don't, ha- we don't have people that go to war and the general's running the opposite way, even though he might internally want to. And so there's those times where, as leaders, we might be dying on the inside, but we still have to lead courageously on the outside and deal with that with the Lord, you know? I've seen too many times where people, leaders have gone through stuff and they bring their whole congregation with them or their whole youth group or their whole kids ministry because they're in a funk or they're, we can't do that. Your faith is on display. And again, whatever role you're at, smallest role or the biggest role. And that doesn't mean you're being fake. It just means you understand your responsibility. You've got to lead with God-led conviction, right? All right, so here, as we close today, there's four main keys to be successful in this Number two position. Right, but we got to do questions and stuff too. Yes, thank you, but thank you. I appreciate that. Four main keys to be successful in the number two position. Number one, you have to have relational skills. <laughs> you guys know that. And here's the thing. If you struggle with that, ask the Lord to help you to be more loving, to be more kind. If you've been in ministry for any amount of time, And if you've been hurt, your trust factor is very low. It's hard sometimes when your heart has been trampled on. It's hard to go, okay, well, here I go again. It's hard to do that. But you have to. You have to be relational. And you might get your heart broken again. People might stab you in the back. They might lie about you. They might gossip about you. But going back to the high calling, it's not about us anyways, right? We're just here to serve. So you've got to have relational relational skills, the ability to connect with people. And that's connect heart to heart, not just, not just connect you know, from far away, but really connect heart to heart. Is there a contagiousness about you? Do people want to be around you? It's a good question to ask yourself. You know? just a, you know, and maybe actually ask some people around you. Like we heard from the kid who, kid, I call him a kid. I, Ryan Leak, the guy that's speaking, he, and when I was in Rockford, I taught him as a sophomore, and he was in my yearbook class, so it's crazy. So he's still a kid to me. Um, he's 30 now. But um, anyways, but you, you have to have a contagiousness about you. Your behavior will influence positively or negatively all the people that are around you. All right, so I found this. There's a survey um, from this magazine called Executive Female. It says the number one thing that employees are looking at these days are relational skills, far above educational skills. I thought that was pretty amazing. Way, way above. Now, when I was, this was a few years ago, our church had a daycare, and I was the assistant director as well as some other things. We wanted to, like, get, like, more stars, like, be a really, like, awesome daycare. And so we, we started trying to um, have people who have actual degrees instead of, you know, just wonderful people that want to serve. We wanted some degree teachers. 
And so I remember being in an interview with this lady, and I mean, I'm telling you, her credentials were awesome. She interviewed well. I mean, just seemed like we'd hit the target. She knew we couldn't pay her like a ton, but she was definitely getting paid more than the others. So it was like, thank you, Lord. Well, she gets into the, the room with the kids and starts, you know, interacting. And it had been about a couple weeks, and all of a sudden we're like, this is not working out. She's, like, super far away, pretty cold, like, doesn't really want to get down and dirty with the kids. She's not doesn't have chemistry with the other staff. And it was like, wow. Now, I'm not downing going to school and getting your degrees or getting your credentials as a pastor. I'm not downing any of that. That's all necessary. But there's something to say if out in the business world they're looking at relational skills above your credentials. Well, wow, we need to have that, too, in the, in the church world, right? Obviously. So just check your relational skills. If you need help, get help. Ask the Lord. He's the one that helps us anyways, right? So number two, another key in being successful in this number two position is equipping skills. You have to have the ability to equip others. Because no matter what you're doing right now, you can't do it by yourself. And you shouldn't, actually. You shouldn't do it by yourself. Because then you're not really impacting you're not mentoring. You're not bringing somebody up. So you shouldn't do it by yourself. You need to equip other people. Dwight Eisenhower said this, Leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because they want to do it. I think that's awesome. Leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because they want to do it. And that's why it's an art. You get people around you. You pour into them. They understand the vision, and all of a sudden they're like, okay, what do we need to do? And you're like, yes, finally, right? So develop yourself so you can develop other people. And that's going to take intentionality. You're going to have to, in the no time you already have in your life, right, because you're busy. If If you're a leader in the room, you're already so busy. But you have to take time in your calendar to grow yourself. Somehow, you've got to develop. Because if you're not growing as a leader, then guess what? Those that are beneath you that you're leading, they're not going to be growing either because you set the pace for that. So you have to continue to develop yourself. So you've got to have equipping skills. All right. Thirdly, you have to have an attitude, I call it attitude tenacity, all right, which is the ability to rise above. <sighs> Because you're going to face stuff that are, that's hard. You're going to face times of wanting to quit. And you have to be able to rise above that, know who you are, why God has called you, stick it out. And I will tell you, in all those years that was tough at the church, God sent us a great interim pastor, helped heal the church. We now have a phenomenal lead pastor for the last few years. And I'm looking at 10 years I'll be there this summer at the church. And I'm like, I'm so glad I stayed. And I'm not saying that to, like, yay me. I'm just saying I'm thankful that I didn't bail. I'm thankful that for some reason, I don't even know how sometimes, that I stayed, right? And that's just God. It's just God that that works out. And I'm thankful because now I'm able to reap, reap, sorry, reap the benefits of all of that, you know. I didn't leave, and now, you know, seeing all the things God's doing, I, I wouldn't have been there. I wouldn't have seen that. Ugh, that'd be horrible. So... Be the one who rises above hardships. Be the one on your staff team that has the positive attitude. Be the one that has the faith in your prayer times. Be that one. Not the one that comes from the negative sense, like the ten spies. Be the two, right? So develop yourself. 
I'm sorry, <laughs> that's not the right thing. Number four, you must take risks. Must be a risk taker. There's a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. It says, go where there is no path and make a trail. Sometimes it's easy just to kind of follow along the path that's already made. But go where there's no path. Take risks in your leadership. Take risks in what God has called you to do. So as we close officially, we've got 12 minutes left. Um, And I wish I would have had it on the screen. I had some PowerPoint, but my laptop broke, and so I was using an iPad so we didn't have the right cords. But um, the last thing that I had, which is not on your note sheet, it says leadership is spelled out like this, and it's an acronym. All right, so on your notes, if you just want to write leadership like down, I'll give you, oh, it's sort of like that, but it's a little bit different. But it's similar, yes. Like I totally forgot I put that graphic on there. (laughs) Okay, so leadership is spelled out like this. L is loyalty. E is empathy. A is accountability. D is determination. E is encouragement. R is respect. S is selflessness. H is honor and humility, because those go hand in hand. Honor and humility. I is integrity. And P is passion. I know we've talked about a lot of things today, but that really sums it up. Serving in the number two role of leadership, we've got to have all of those things in our life, actively coming out of our life, pouring out of our life. And God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He just expects our heart to be in his direction, right, in service. So any questions, any thoughts as we close out? We have just about nine minutes left, so I wanted to open up for anybody that just had questions about Anything we talked about or anything you might just have in general? All right. Awesome. Yes. So what would be, uh, if you could, uh, all your years of experience, one of the main things that you learned that you share with people that are going through that same thing, what would be one uh, piece of advice that you could give? Which same thing? Yeah. Um, I guess follow peace um, regardless, which um, in your prayer times, no matter, no matter what you're facing, you've got to know if you're staying or going, if you're going to stick it out or if you're supposed to leave. And those are probably the two hardest things to ever figure out in your life when it's time to stay and when it's time to go. Um, and so that's going to take a lot of prayer, but follow peace. And that's for me... Um, my dad told me that years ago. Um, it's funny, when I moved out to Ohio, I came from California, a big church in California, 
and I moved here to be in a smaller church to just give, you know, because there's so many, nothing nothing against large churches, but I wanted to be able to be at a small church and really help lift that. Well, um, where was I going with that? Don't you hate that? Oh, yeah. So anyways, I just had moved to Ohio, and it was like six months, maybe four or five months, and I got this job offer to go back to, to California, Southern California, to write a job, like literally a dream job, to like create a leadership school, be on church at this fast-paced church that's moving, they have satellites. I mean, literally. And I was like, God, what are you doing? I just moved my life from California to this little church. You've given me this assignment, and why, why is this in front of me, right? So I really felt that I had to say yes and at least go interview. Because, right, like how, when that's something that you wanted to do. So I talked to my pastor. He let me go. I went out and just checked it out because it was too weird as far as, like, who God has called me to be. Like, it was weird. I meet all these people at this place, and I'm just going, wow, God, are you serious right now? This is, like, everything I've ever wanted. I mean, honestly. And to fast forward the story, I remember when they passed the offer across the table and I saw the financial numbers that they were going to pay me, I immediately went, I didn't, I didn't have peace. Immediately. Now, in my flesh, I went, I will never see numbers like that, probably ever again. They were going to take care of me. They were going to pay off some debt. I mean, it was, like, unbelievable. And it was at that moment I didn't have peace. And so I said, I'm going to need time. I'm going to need some time to pray about it and think about it. Long story short, I ended up saying no to that. Um, and it was funny because they were not okay with that. <laughs> they actually were like, we prayed, we fasted, you're the one. And it was crazy because I knew what I could go do there, not in a prideful sense. But God didn't, wasn't calling me to that. Does that make sense? And a year later, the guy that they ended up hiring, they had to let go of because of financial difficulties. And so sometimes God does that stuff for protection. You know, and I'm like, wow, God, crazy. So it, it's peace. You have to follow peace in those situations. And it, it's not easy. It's not easy, I will tell you. Yes? Right. And then you can have peace because it's no longer your responsibility. You share what God has told you to say, yeah. and then you let it go. Right. So if you're a pastor and it's your board you're taking it to, right. or you're an assistant pastor you're taking it to a pastor, That's good. you've given your responsibility and you can have peace. Exactly. And, and, and if you're causing turmoil in the church, then you're not, you've stepped out of your role. Yeah. And that's, so you just say your piece and then... Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, any other thoughts? Any other questions before we dismiss? All right, well, thank you guys. This has been an honor. I hope you were challenged and encouraged today. So have a blessed rest of your day.